there, Blog Talk Radio. I'm sorry, I cut off the uh, automatic voice telling you you're listening to Blog Talk Radio. You are also listening to GIST Radio, which is a podcast series and a product of GIST Inc. Uh, GIST Inc. is a company by artists for artists. Uh, GIST, which is an acronym, G-Y-S-T, stands for Getting Your Shit Together. So we help you do that at Just Inc. Um, our mission is to support arts professionals with an integrated program of software, services, and information. And we are especially dedicated to empowering and educating artists and creatives so they can develop sustainable and successful careers on their own terms. And the on the own terms is really what we champion here. We champion DIY practices, DIY artists and uh, people who want to, again, create a career that is not strictly a uh, hierarchical career. We really like to think about it as a hybrid career. So you're a hybrid artist if you make art and you also do other things like public programming of some kind. And so that's where my show comes in. My show is called Just Do It. So... Obviously, that is about artists who are just doing things on their own. I especially like to find artists who have started collectives, who have um, started projects and ongoing things like that. And I like to go out and I like to find those artists wherever I can. And the artist that I'm going to have on my show today is an artist I met at a mixer, actually at the Women's Center for Creative Work in Los Angeles, and they had a mixer um, of just of creative women. And I started talking to Amanda Katz, and, and our conversation was so interesting because she is doing some very innovative things. So I'm going to invite Amanda to say hello to you. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about what you're doing and having uh, people understand it. I really think you're doing uh, an innovative thing with kind of redefining, or, or not redefining, but expanding what it means to be an artist in residence or what an artist in residency is. You're really having some interesting, um, you know, ideas about what that is, and you are enacting those ideas through your space uh, called Cat's Deli. So that's just a little, a little teaser for the audience. But before we get into Cat's Deli and your programming and your ideas about uh, the residency, residencies you do, um, please just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You're a working artist and poet and just a little bit about your background um, so that we can ground it there as you being a working artist. Great. Um, well, I'm, from, I'm from New York, and I moved out to Los Angeles for, for grad school at Otis. Um, for the public practice program, actually, with Suzanne Lacey. And um, once I got there, I ended up cobbling together this crazy grad experience being in the graduate writing program, the fine art program, and the public practice program. And I think that all of the work that I've been doing now kind of comes out of this three-pronged inquiry that I've been doing since since I started, I guess, in undergrad, I was at Colgate, and I started, I had this problem with feeling like I was just filling the blanks in of my own poems, 
like they were crossword puzzles or something. I kind of had gotten used to my voice and knew what my flow was, and for some reason that bothered me. So I turned to sculpture to resolve this, what I, you know, this concern that I had in my writing practice. I wanted to make the, literally make the words into physical objects that I could manipulate, like out of wood or steel, and um, and create these large-scale sculptures that I'd place outside and would invite people to read as they walked around the sculpture, you know, kind of peering up or crawling underneath, whatever, so that to turn the experience of reading into a public, social, and bodily action. That is really so fascinating. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's so, rare to. It's, I think it's rare to have someone kind of turn from poetry to visual art that way. I think that is really amazing. Um, I'm struck by that. So that that is really interesting. That makes a lot of sense as to you know how you move forward the way you did. So did so then did you consider yourself at that point, you know, both? I mean, so you, poet and visual artist became kind of on the same plane for you that you were both or are well. I mean, now kind of, that, so that got me on this whole track of, you know, thinking, okay, I guess I can just, you know, in this weird interdisciplinary thing I want to be doing, um, I can, public art seemed like this, you know, title that I could just kind of lump all my, lump, you know, my my multivalent inquiry um, within. And, um, right. but that's not really, it's not really how it works. But I had been told, you know, by advisors and people forever that I was going to have to choose between between art and poetry, and that, um, you know, you know, hybrid practices they exist in the world, but you know, it's really difficult. And in a way, and and I found a little bit of of pushback here and there. That in a way, to really, you kind of have to really establish yourself in each place separately. Before mm-hmm. you can you can really kind of have that authority to your your the stance that you're taking somewhere in the middle. Um, and right. So let me let me just let me just pa- let me just ask you to pause. I'm sorry. Let me just ask you to pause because I want to ask you. So you said you felt that kind of you know push to kind of define yourself one way or the other. Were you feeling that push in undergrad or also in grad school? In in undergrad. In grad school, it was okay. simply that. Yeah, no, that was definitely an undergrad. That was definitely like an East Coast, you know, small liberal arts school kind of thing that they think they're being... Right, right. You had, to, yeah, you had to fit into one program or another. But, you, yeah. but I'm glad you kind of just didn't just let that uh, limit you. Totally. So you kept, you, you know, and then you came to grad school and then you chose public practice, which is a whole other kind of realm, actually, of uh, well, work as well. So where you, you felt more freedom, obviously, to, to integrate felt- these things there. I felt some more freedom, but still to this day, I felt that if, you know, when you want to combine things, you really, you can't get lost in that, like, alchemical moment of the combination. You have to really know the, the you know, the two strands separately first as well. And so I realized that the more complicated my ideas were starting to become in terms of, you know, spatializing and socializing poetry, the more research I had to do into, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, into, um, well, the, the more, you know, the, the more poetry and 
thought, you know, I needed to read, I guess, on one hand, and then the more, um, you know, public art projects that I needed to learn about, you know, all over the world and kind of understand what are these two fields and so what are the, how, how do I combine them? And so a lot of that work, because it's specific to my interest, you know, had to be done, you know, you do that on your own. And, um, but I really wanted the program for, to have these, I wanted to get into the ethical questions about public art. I was starting to feel uncomfortable placing my text in, or the idea of, I'd only, you know, done a couple. And I was starting to see, okay, so you could have a life of making these poetry sculpture things and, you know, hopefully placing them in a public park somewhere and then you leave and then people who live there go, you know, on Sunday mornings to have a picnic and they have to read your words in their face all the time. And that just didn't sit well with me. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't, yeah, you know, imposing my, what I was calling imposing my language onto a community felt um, something was off there for me personally. And so I thought, well, what about what about community um, community driven text making practices? What about you know what if I what if I you know kind of DJ the text from fragments that I collect from I don't know submissions from people in this in you know who live in the state in the in the area where that work is where that work will finally exist. Um, so those right. So you were really you were really. Shifting, so you're really shifting from the traditional uh, practice of public art. You know, you might call it flop art or something like that. I don't mean to be disparaging, but just as kind of you know, art, visual art that sits there and then just is enjoyed to something you know, public practice. Um, and and it would be nice for you to, uh, I think, tell us what you think of that term. I mean, how you define it for yourself, because public practice is. Now that, I mean, there's now graduate programs on it, just as, and it's only in the last, what would you say, decade or less that yeah. this, this term and has become something where it really is a legitimate place for artists to create work. And, and legitimate meaning like, again, graduate programs now exist for public practice. So can you just pause there and tell me your thoughts on, on that practice and then how you are, you know, fit fit into it, I guess? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, this is, this is a huge, huge question. Um, yeah, let's, let's take think, uh, the, the, the mini, (laughs) I know it's a huge question. We can actually spend the whole entire episode on that. And actually, before you, um, start talking about that. Four years of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm just going to ask you. I'm just going to ask you. This is a call-in kind of show, and so our listeners are hearing some kind of strange feedback from your phone. If you, could, I don't know if there's something you could do to kind of change oh. your placement or something. It's kind of got some strange clicking going on, or, and make sure to like talk right into into there. This is not some fancy studio with uh, big old mics and and headphones and. <laughs> And although I wish I was sitting right across from you, I'm actually, you know, talking to you on the phone. So the cool thing about that is people are, like, eavesdropping on our phone conversation, which is kind of a, you know, cool thing. That is? Um, so I just wanted is to... Is this any better? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's slightly better. So, okay, so sorry, better? back to our conversation. We'll just, we'll just keep going okay. through it. Um, it's let's, back let's to let our me know, conversation. Please. Yeah, I will. I will. Um 
so okay, so sorry. So we 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 uh, got off track there, but back back to the track of your little nugget <laughs> in a nuggets version <laughs> of what you feel public practice is about, and uh, personally, and how you um you know are engaged with um the field. I guess and is that what you're doing with with your with your yeah. um you know work collaborative work? Well, I think that social social practice art um. What makes me most excited about it is that it's it's created it's created a space for people to really really kind of test out i think it's like a testing ground for um for possible political realities and mm-hmm. yeah so and and different it's also it's like a testing ground for you know different combinations of of social um of of social relations and specifically like power dynamic kind of stuff so you know what happens when what happens when this person's in charge what happens when these people are in charge what happens when you know so there you always see in these the question i always ask when i'm thinking about a project is you know who where is the authorship located here and is it and how and how fluid is that? And that's partly why hosting as a kind of sub um as like a, a sub category of social practice art is so interesting to me because and and, and partly how I started to interrogate it through Cass's Deli. Um, you know, because the relationship between hosting and authorship is is quite curious. And it's also, you know, the you can't be a host if someone isn't agreeing to be hosted to you. So there's this kind of social contract thing going on. And so in a way, maybe social practice art is so interesting because in a way there's a, it's a dependent type of practice. You can't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a social contract is really what you're entering into with your audience or participants or however you want to define that relationship based on, you know, what kind of labor is being performed. Um, and you really but, take that, you take that literally, though, because I, you, you said, I've heard you say, and I saw it on your website, and it's basically around that you sign contracts, you know, in, in an interesting, you use the contract in an interesting way, I feel, to establish the, uh-huh. the residencies. And, and even when I, when I saw on your website when you uh, presented at Open Engagement, you were invited to speak at Open Engagement, which is a conference on art social practice in Portland, Oregon, a couple of years ago, that you had yeah. part- uh, the, the participants in that conversation even sign a contract or a liability waiver. <laughs> so that was really yeah. interesting to me. I thought, hmm, now why did they need a liability waiver, you know, to go into that conversation? But I think I might be jumping the gun a little, but I think it has to do something with that you're using that as part of this like you're you're making it overt that it is this joint thing that people are entering into and that there's responsibility on both sides and you're calling people's attention right. to that to make them more accountable, responsible and, and invested in, in even if it's just a simple round table conversation. Am I correct? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what, that's it. I, which I think is really you know, wonderful. It's like shining a light on just something that maybe we would take for granted if it wasn't just kind of, you know, being highlighted that, that, that that's what's going on. Um, 
So I think that's great. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's. I want to jump in because we're. I think our. I think we could spend about two or three episodes with you, Amanda. Honestly, with these kind of like we're. I know we're just kind of touching the surface of a few things, but I really want to have our um, conversation run through you talking about some of your past residencies that you have worked with artists with, because then we're getting some nice juicy details about what exactly you have done. And also we can, you know, also have these overlays of, of, you know, what we're, what we're talking about in there. Um, so let's, let me ask you just to articulate a little, a little bit that, you know, about how, you just took that step forward because, you know, the show is all about artists who are who do what you do in that I'm just going to start doing something. I'm going to make an artist residency. I'm going to use my studio as a public space. So how did that little jump happen that you, that you went for it and just describe the kind of, you know, physical uh, setup of, of the space and, and what the concept of Tatsuskeli was is and then we'll kind of, I'll ask you to start describing some of the projects that you've done there. Yeah. Um, well, I, I had, it, it really is, you know, the more I kind of reflect, the more I've reflected on my original intentions, which of course, as for most people, when you start things are, you know, quite grand. Um, I think that it's really, it was that I simply was, was struggling with trying, with unpacking collaboration what what really is going on when we talk about collaborative art practice and um what 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 is this literally microcosmic level and um and so i started to think about think about it in terms of and and, and i also have this kind of question of like is is collaboration actually possible um you can't you can't really share a mind like is it all it, when we say that you're when one says that they're working collaboratively with another person is that a metaphor or mm-hmm. is that an accurate term to describe the type you know what's the type of you know what's going on there and so the more I thought about it the more I realized that it's my it's really more like a series of exchanges that are being made between parties based on Skills based on interest, based on you know desire. Usually, like everything, right? Comes down to desire. But um, and and so that's partly why I wanted to I wanted to start the space so that I could gain a kind of embodied intelligence about these ideas I was having about what collaboration really means. And I think that I'm also just one of those people who learns through embodiment, um, maybe more deeply than I do through, you know, just kind of memorizing a definition of something or logic, you know, you know, logical reasoning alone, you know, reading a book. Mm-hmm. I need to kind of, I need to actually enact it in order to understand what's really going on here. And I also wanted to take the artist-run institution as a medium. And I wanted to mm-hmm. also provide... Yeah, and to and because you know you there you know you're seeing them all over the place and when I had this idea, um, you know, and it's still now it's kind of more for granted and it wasn't like this was so long ago, but there was this conference in Vancouver called Institutions by Artists that's talking about the history of artist-run spaces specifically in Canada um, from the 70s to the present. They have a super rich history, 
very cool stuff in Vancouver especially. And um and also with PST, the first PST, there was a lot of reflection on um, on artist friend spaces in LA. And what is and sorry, that? Yes, so you mean Pacific Standard Time? I just wanted you to Pacific tell, uh, Star, tell yeah. our listeners, yeah, because <laughs> we we use these acronyms, and yet this is the World Wide Web, so you never know who's listening. <laughs> right, that's true. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think no, that's okay. Yes. I love the uh, that just that sentence that that you just came out it came out that that you're taking you're taking the arts institution or maybe the art space or even the artist run space as your a medium through which you're yeah. working. Oh, that is just a fantastic statement. <laughs> I love it. And the, um, well, the, the other thing is that, you know, we as, you know, individual artists internalize the institution of art and we perform that in in um, the way we, you know, the way that we participate in, in the art economy, um, the way that we socialize with other people, et cetera. So I wanted my space to be this kind of intimate, convivial, platform in which we could interrogate the ways in which we, you know, we internalize, right, the institution of art and also examine um, the exchanges and negotiations that we make with one another as artists when we self-determine the conditions of our practices and its public reception. So what that really means is, you know, having a space that exists kind of in between the privacy of the artist studio and the publicity of like a commercial gallery site or you know a really well-established um non-profit that's the that's the little crevice that i wanted to kind of get in and and so then of course you say okay so if you're if you're working in this kind of liminal space or if your platform is in that is in that liminal space then what type of work could be could happen there and research-based practices, artists who have been working on, you know, who have a project that's been, you know, that requires so a lot of time and research and energy and you're, you know, a year in and you're like, oh, my God, what's going on right now? I have all this stuff. I need a place to just, you know, like in the Dead Poet Society, stand up on the table. I need to stand up on the table and look at all of this. And... Mm-hmm. Um, a moment thought, of okay, basically that's... pause, like a moment of pause to reflect and to kind of put it out there to see to see if it's working or see what you need yeah. to do, that kind of thing. You know, I, I want to, yeah. I want you to speak to some again some some of these things that we're talking about directly through the actual experiences the that you've had. You've had like three or four, um, you know, what you've called micro residents. Um, before you do that, though, I am actually going to. Um, I hope our our listeners um, can can bear with us here. I'm going to actually ask you to um, hang up and call back because there is again this kind of strange interference, and sometimes you're. You're you're putting these beautiful words together, and there's these clicking happening that I'm worried our our no. readers our readers our readers a little for a little flip there readers I mean listeners might be bothered by so go ahead and do that in the meantime I'm gonna um, tell our listeners a few things about um, the residencies you've done and then you'll okay. pick it up in like a, like 30 seconds it'll take us to do this okay all right Great. so 
So, yes, listeners, bear with us. Uh, you know, good old cell phones uh, sometimes don't have the most perfect reception, do they? So I was hearing that um, kind of annoying interference, and I'm sure you were too. And Amanda, I'm finding her to be completely um, fascinating, and her thoughts and ideas are uh, very rich, and I don't want to lose any of that um, through this distraction. So, um so Katz's Deli uh, run out of her studio. She had, I, I see on her website, which, by the way, please visit, uh, Um Not to be confused. Uh, the website is not to be confused with com because that will take you to <laughs> the real Katz's Deli all over the world. I, I, I love that. By the way, that name is so great because it's your last name, and yet it is, you know, there's a very famous deli, especially on the East Coast, right, New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you you, mm-hmm. you took that name is great. And look at that, you're back already with barely barely an interruption. I love it. So I was just saying that you've had about four micro residencies, and then the last one is very different too, and how you defined it. So let's just start with the first one that you did, so you can articulate some of this through the actual, um, you know, results. So and and talk about how it felt um with a, an artist named Rodrigo Morty back in 2012 so um a micro residency that was exactly 17 18 19 20, 5 days long or 6 days long or a week long or something so yeah, how did pretty, that uh, come about yeah how did that come about and what was it about Rodrigo I had actually was one of the first people I ever met in Los Angeles and um and then he moved he moved back to Toronto, and um, I started the space, and I thought, hey, this would be perfect for you to come to Los Angeles and, you know, and do a project here, and 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 we'll figure out all of this, you know, the exchange stuff with this, you know, crazy international travel at the same time, and how we can support one another um, in that way. So with him, it was, it was, a, it was also, you know, he had because he, you know, he didn't have, um, he, you know, because he didn't. It wasn't like he was just relocating his studio from somewhere else in Los Angeles into, into my, into my studio to then put together the project that he had proposed. Um, I ended up performing a lot of kind of studio assistant duties, and that was really interesting. And you know. The roles shift, like the roles are constantly shifting with this kind of thing. At one moment you're the curator, next moment you're you're, you know, you're driving the pickup out to Lake Elsinore to get corrugated metal sheeting from, you know, someone's backyard. Um right. so, Yeah. So it was you know, so that was that experience was was so that was when it was so interesting to me how i how my my roles the my performance was like was constantly shifting and our you know who was kind of in charge or whatever was constantly shifting um and i thought oh this is interesting this is what i want to kind of hype up um in the space that that you know i'm not simply just being taking on like in taking on the artist run space as a medium the performance isn't just as curator or as director. The performance is, is also as assistant or, you know, travel agent or chef or whatever. 
um, all the things that someone would need, you know, in order to support them in like their full human sense um, when they right. come, you know, when, when you come to do to do a project like this. And um, so then I did that again with um, the collective body clamp. It came from New York, and it was the same. It was the same type of thing with the shifting roles and all of that. And with them, though, you know, before I was talking about having having this space be a way, having 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 a space that exists in a kind of gray area between private and public. Um, and mm-hmm. that it supports work that maybe isn't done yet, or work that is, you know, you know, multi-part work, whatever research-based practices. Um, it also, it also is a space in which, you know, people can try something new that maybe they're not ready to show in, you know, a more yeah, a legitimate, so to speak, space. That, you yeah, know, exactly. More, exactly. You, yeah, I mean, you, you, this is a place for experimentation, a place for play, a place for, I love it, that, you know, kind of supporting yeah. this, I love it, that gray area interim where, yeah, and, and, and there's not a lot out there that, that exists like that. So this group of people, these are three, three artists who all have their own, they all have their own practices and they're friends and they wanted to, they wanted to try out working as a collective and they needed a space to, to test this out. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to provide that for them. And, you know, they since have, have stopped working together and that's okay. You know, yeah, that's right. That's fine. And I, you know, so, um, but they got, they got to, they got to see, you know, what, 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 if we were to, if we were to be a collective, what would that feel like? You know, what would that, what would, how would that happen? And so they came out here and they ended up, what they decided to do was to build these tables, which are now pr- my property. And I use them constantly as I use the, the tall one has become a bar. The lower one has become like more like a coffee table. And these tables that they built, they, the space was open the entire week. We had a session called Open Shop. And you could come watch them, watch them build these tables. Now they they're called body clamps because they don't use any clamps when they're when they're building. It's kind of it's this performative sculpture, and so they will kind of twist twist their bodies in strange ways in order to hold you know the hold the wood in place. And then someone comes in in a kind of precarious angle and will drill a hole. And so there's a bit of you know. There are moments when if you're standing at the wrong angle, it looks like someone's drilling into the other person, which is kind of funny. And right. Lovely. So they're yeah. physically engaging literally with um, the pieces of wood and the, the, you know, this kind of, and like you're saying, like a performative sculpture. Interesting. That, that right there is blending. That's a hybrid. Exactly. And Scott Raby, actually another artist who did a piece here, his, he also was interested in performative sculpture. I wanted to, I guess in the beginning, um, in the beginning I was really interested in providing a space for people who, who wanted to think about, who wanted to think about the performative um, possibilities of, of a sculpture practice. Mm-hmm. And just now, like you were, like I just, I, my mind went to when you took your poetry into sculpture. It's like yeah. a moment where you're going kind of from one space of practice, you know, blending into another into your practice. And that is actually a, a very 
probably exciting but difficult time for an artist, right? Because it's it's in this kind of you keep saying gray area, which I love gray area of making that shift. So that's wonderful that you would articulate that that's what you wanted to support and you did, you know, support it. It's so, it's so rich, you know, like how, how you just, you realize all this stuff <laughs> about yourself, you know, through, through other people, through all the, you know, through these practices and whatever. And it's, and that's actually, you know, that's actually the best part for me about being an artist and, and, and work, working this way is that, you know, you're constantly, and that's why I can't be a traditional kind of studio sculptor or whatever, because I think yeah, that I hear that you really, really you're articulating, yeah, you're articulating your practice. You need other people. You need, there's some other level for you. It's not just, uh, yeah, it's not just a kind of an object thing. You have to engage all these other levels. And, you know, it's a, you, you are also coming from poetry, you know, you, the word, like the term unpacking artist residency, I mean, it's, it's, how do I explain this? Like, I see a correlation as a poet kind of takes a word and dives deep into that word. What does it mean? Are there different connotations to it? Have different ways to use it? You're kind of doing that literally with these residencies too. That's what I see. Like, it's what is so collaboration? Yeah. You know, what is but a collaboration? Ago, well, it's a word that means what? And then and then you literally are are, are uh, picking it apart by doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> different different um, approaches to that concept. Yeah. Two so, years ago, my my practice was really in crisis, and I I really wasn't sure how to proceed. And so, what I decided to do was to create a space. For, to to help other people figure out how to proceed in their practices. Right, right. Like, well, that's, Which you know, is like yeah, really of kind of I mean, funny when you think about it. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing right now. So at least maybe I'll just, you know, help, I'll just provide space for other people to figure their shit out while I'm still figuring mine out on the side. Right, or but, that, but, but that's kind of, but, right, but, but you're not sitting by as an idle bystander. So you were basically creating a situation for yourself that you had to watch others and also do it yourself. You know what I mean? You're, 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 totally. you know what I mean? So, yeah. So that's not, that's actually, that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, <laughs> initially maybe, maybe not, maybe not consciously centered, but not such a bad, you know, way of that word of like that. If I just, if I just help others do it, I have to say, I, I feel a, a, a symbiotic thing about that too, because the reason that I seek out artists who are doing these incredible projects is I, I too, am someone who wants to independently curate in Los Angeles after a long time away, I came back. And my, during mm-hmm. my long time away, I did a lot of projects for the community. And then I'm coming back to L.A. going, wow, okay, how do I establish myself here, reestablish myself here, because uh, I'm an L.A. person. You know, and, oh, I'll mm-hmm. do that by starting a radio show where I talk to people who are doing such amazing things because it'll help right. me kind of figure it out, get inspired, you know, say, oh, you know, I could do some version of this too. So I totally, I think we're, we're on the same page about, about our motivations for, for, our, for our project. And then hopefully, we both probably hope that in the process, the audience that we create around these things also hopefully take something away from it too. So it's kind of like a win, 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 <laughs> hopefully. Absolutely. You're also building, you're building a community and a network of people who can, you know, learn from one another and support one another and maybe work together yeah, down and the line. Yeah. And that's the only way, know, that's so the only way to do it. The only way to great. do it for sure. 
But I have so, to say, you know, the best we, thing about working with Body Clamp was that they they were the first people to counter my Katz's Deli contract with a a contract of their own. They presented okay, me that, with, okay. So wait, so so talk. Okay, that's really interesting. Talk then specifically specifics. So you had a contract which articulated what with them. My contract with them was pretty bare bones. It was, you know, this is not an illegal sublet. You'll be here from this date until this date. Um, you know, you're going to be housed over here. And they wanted, um, uh, what else did I put in there? You know, you know, who, who, we're not, you know, no one's liable if the venue's destroyed by fire. I mean, pretty standard stuff. So it was pretty okay. So it's pretty much a bit of a cut and dry thing that um, about, you know, yeah, those kind of agreements. All right. Pretty standard then, stuff, except for one thing I put in. We put in at the very end that we were we would pledge to be um, honest and generous of spirit with one another at the onset of the Cassie Stelly brunch conversation. Okay. Yeah. And so we got a little bit of this kind of affective labor language in there, but then they came to me with a technical rider, and um, so I. So Ryder, that's what, you know, like Mariah Carey and the green M&Ms kind of thing, right? So that, you know, you go, musicians have these, but, you know, my dressing room must Oh, okay, you're, right, 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 you're referring to how Mariah, right, okay, just pause there, because that's a pop culture reference not everybody's going to know. So, right, <laughs> Mariah Carey demands M&Ms, you know, in her room when she's performing, but you can't have green ones, so they have to be picked out. Like, so the green exactly. value, that, yeah, that's what you mean. So, okay, so what did yeah. their writer articulate? So their writer, they decided to write in that diva, in the diva voice. And um, and, <laughs> and they put, they put on here, um, they, they, and they also, they really, they cleared the language in some beautiful little places. Um, they said, in the very beginning, I'll read to you, it says, um, it says, uh, here we go. any breach of the terms and conditions of this rider is a breach of the contract and may cause body clamp to refuse to, pre- to perform without releasing Katz's Deli from her obligation to please body clamp. So sentences like that, right. that, that would, yeah. the verb to please is not a verb that would be used in, in an actual you know, right. in an actual rider. I mean, maybe, but not, not, not really. And um, right. so kind of, you know, making it, and also, you know, so, so there are these tiny moments within when you read, it looks like this totally dry document. Um, but when you actually read it, there, there are sentences or verbs or nouns or little moments in which you realize that there's a critical engagement with this form of writing that is different from how it typically exists, how, how one would typically encounter it in the world. And that attention on the, you know, on the sentence level, um, on the word level, is, is what I bring also from my poetry practice. But I'm think, you know, right. you're, thinking about, exactly. you're thinking about language at its, at its smallest unit. It's micro um, level, a word you use uh, often, you know, with the micro emphases and micro, you know, it's great. Yeah, you, got this, you put yeah. things under a microscope, words, you know, the residency itself and all, um, it, it, that definitely is a, is a theme for you. You know, uh, we only have about five minutes left, and I want to 
just have you talk about your most recent residency that just got kicked off because um, yeah. it is a little bit different than your – in fact, you went from micro to macro because instead of just a week, <laughs> this residency will take a year. So that's interesting. How did that kind of – how would you go from the micro to the macro? What exactly is it uh, with – and who is the artist? And just quickly, what the parameters of um, the project will be in, in the coming year. This current residency the, is with a poet. His name is, well, the writer. He mainly writes poetry, but actually what he's writing right now is not poetry. Um, it's, um, you know, it's more kind of prose. Uh, so it's, I don't know. But his name is Chuan Choi. He is um, he's the author of The Flood and Abductions, and he's a partner at Writ Large Press. And we um, we decided that he would write his third book with Cass's Belly over the course of the year, but that it would this would be an opportunity to take the micro resonance structure and instead of making it macro, it's more that I'm stretching stretching it out over the course of the year and he gets basically those same twelve days, right, that in between a week and two weeks, which is what I typically do, he gets twelve days of residence within my time and my attention and my labor. So it was a way to kind of, I, at this point, I thought, okay, I've done some literal stuff in this space, but what if I, what if I try to, what if I try to, you know, you know, get inside of the space time of the residency structure and, and mess around with that a little bit, what, what form could that take? And so that's how I came up with this, you know, spreading it out like accordion style over the course of a year. And so in our contract, I I agreed to provide eight hours, the working hours of one day per month to this project. And they're divided. There's, you know, two hours for social media, four hours for cataloging, you know, and documentation, uh, two hours for two hours for studio visits and, um, you know, personal support. Um, of course, it takes a lot more than eight hours per month to work on a project like this. But that's sure, especially because it, it might. To. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because am I right in understanding from what I've seen on your you know website, and Facebook, that once a month there will be reading. So, uh, but uh, yeah, once a month there'll be a reading as well. So it's you're putting together a public event right. uh, also, and um, every and talk month. about that. Re- yeah, and talk about that reading as to what the um, what the what's going to happen during those readings because it's pretty interesting. So the other part of our contract, she came to me and said, "I want to write a disappearing book. What would what what do you think about that?" And mm-hmm. I and I thought, okay, a disappearing book. And in my practice, like five or six years ago, I did a project in which I encased a steel. I encased a, a penyan boat with a steel poem, and then I the steel I had had the the text was laser cut, and I burned it kind of like the lost wax method in this public performance. And then the the way that the boat burned uh, determined the sh- the final shape of this of this steel poem that was then exhibited. And so he knew that I had been thinking about that I had been working with disappearing texts and thinking about you know creation destruction mechanisms, et cetera. 
And um, so when we got together to think about this project, the disappearing text and the and this kind of, you know, extended this, you know, micro residency over the course of a year thing, they two really fit together really well so that we could he could write this book in chapter installments and then he's contracted through the Cats's Valley contract to destroy the chapters right after he reads them. And then I'm That's contracted to gather the gather responses from the audience members after afterwards, asking them, what do you remember? And so those responses Hi? Yeah, are going to be the documentation of the project. I love it. I, I just I, we only have a few like uh, precious moments left. Unfortunately, log talk right. you have to kind of work within your time. Uh, I can't just push a button extend it because I would because Amanda, this conversation has been wonderful. I usually do thirty minutes. This has been forty five, and I wish it was already an hour because what you're doing is just oh, wow. really. You know, fascinating work, and I hope that people get engaged with what you're doing through going to your website, org, K-A-T-Z-S, org, and getting on your mailing list and coming to your, your public performances, as, as I will do as well. And for our listeners, if you're interested in what uh, Just Inc. does as a company, please visit our website, G-Y-S-T-I-N-K.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person, and recently we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like sending a kid to basketball camp and helping a family with gas for their son's frequent hospital visits. And during the Honda Summerbration sales event, we can help you with a great deal, because right now we're clearing out the 2017s, like the Accord, a 2017 car and driver 10 best a record 31 times. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Car and driver January 2017.